I know, especially some of you young adults maybe have heard of Francis Chan. How many of you have heard of Francis Chan? Know about his... He's written a couple of books. Um, um, Francis Chan. He's a pastor in the U.S. He's written a book recently that's, that's uh, been selling pretty well. It's called Crazy Love. Um, I read this book a couple of weeks ago. In the fourth chapter of, his, of the book, it's entitled Profile of the Lukewarm. <laughs> okay? And early in that chapter, he asked this question. Has your relationship with Jesus actually changed the way you live? Now, if we're paying any attention at all to Hebrews chapter 11, we understand that if we've come into relationship with Jesus Christ, it will radically change the way we live. Then he spends the rest of chapter 4 describing lukewarm Christianity, which of course we understand, if we're Bible believers, we understand that lukewarm Christianity is in fact an oxymoron. But Francis Chan says this. This is his profile of the lukewarm. Francis Chan says, The lukewarm, they attend church regularly, but really just because it's expected of them. They tend to choose what's popular over what's right. The lukewarm don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. The lukewarm are moved by stories about people who radically obey Jesus, yet they never act. The lukewarm rarely share their faith. The lukewarm gauge their goodness by comparing themselves with the secular world. The lukewarm say they love Jesus, but they do not surrender to Him as Lord. The lukewarm love others, but they do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. The lukewarm put limits on how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give to Christ and to His church. The lukewarm think about life on earth much more than they think about eternity. The lukewarm love their luxuries and comforts and rarely consider giving as much as they could to the gospel causes. The lukewarm do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. The lukewarm always play it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. The lukewarm do not live by faith. They structure their lives so they never have to. We've talked about this many, many times. Many who call themselves Christians, they... They try to build a life for themselves that's very safe and manageable, very risk-averse. Beloved, if you're paying attention to Hebrews 11, you understand that to go with God is anything but risk-averse. Francis Chan says it in his book, something's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. You've heard me say this a couple of times. I was quite taken with this sentence. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Yeah, if we've read our Bibles, we understand that something is horribly wrong if our life makes sense to unbelievers. This is one of the main points of Hebrews 11. This is one of the main points of God's definition of true biblical faith. Believers live lives that are radically different from unbelievers. Okay? 
If you have any questions about that, come talk to me. Men and women with biblical faith are radically different from the world. They are the antithesis of lukewarm. As I heard one preacher say about the men and women of Hebrews 11, they left behind their comfortable assumptions and mediocre expectations. I've always loved that. I bet many of you have heard me say that before. I have always loved that sentence. That's what God's calling you to. If you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what He's calling you to. Leave behind your comfortable assumptions and mediocre expectations and perpetually living and experiencing the unprecedented in your life. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they lived like God really was God. <laughs> Do you live like your God is God? And that He's good. We talked at length about this last week. Not only that He is, but that He is Good. He is a faithful God, a rewarding God, a promise keeper. The men and women of Hebrews 11 were anything but, anything but lukewarm. They believed Him with their lives. Don't you love that? They believed Him with their lives. Not just with their words. Not just with their church attendance. They believed Him with their very lives. They loved Him and believed Him and obeyed Him with all that they were and all that they had. This is biblical Christianity. Biblical faith. They said yes to God. And God filled them up with Himself. Beloved, this is the, this is the reward of Hebrews 11. <laughs> if you go with God, He'll fill you up with Himself. He'll fill you up with Himself. God poured His life and His joy and His passion and His power into their lives. It's what we talked about last week, John 14.21, that habit forming, that, that addicting truth of, of Jesus in John 14.21. It kicks in. If you really go with Jesus, He discloses Himself to His people. The more you obey, the more radical you are with Jesus, the more of God you get. We've talked about this many, many times. Times. Thus far in Hebrews 11, we've seen God's definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Remember, we talked about it. How can the Bible say that faith is substance and faith is evidence? Because God is who God is. We're not just talking about theological words here. We're talking about the God of heaven and earth. And because He is who He is, He is substance. He is evidence. God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. I want you to always remember that that is the ultimate definition of biblical faith. You know, many will teach that Hebrews 11 is about faith. And it is. But ultimately, it's about God. You understand that, right? Hebrews 11 is a commentary on God. You can do Hebrews 11 because God is God. You couldn't do it without Him, but you can do it because God is God. Hebrews 11 is a commentary on God. It's a commentary on who He is. It's a commentary on His character. It's a commentary on His goodness. It's a commentary on His faithfulness. It's a beautiful commentary on who he is. Last week we saw that Abel pleased God. How? He worshiped by, someone tell me, he worshiped in and by what? Faith. 
Last week we saw that Enoch pleased God. We went back to Genesis chapter 5 and we saw that he walked with God. So he pleased God in his life, in his walk, in the way he lived. Abel pleased God in his worship by faith. Enoch pleased God by living by faith. And we spent a lot of time on Hebrews 11.6 last week, arguably the most important verse in the Bible. Why do I say that? Because God tells us what it is that pleases Him. It's right there in Hebrews 11.6. Arguably, it's the most important verse in the Bible. How do we please God? God says one way. <laughs> it's not religion. It's, yeah, it's not even Christian religion. It's faith. It's faith. This is what the Lord says. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. I love what evangelist John Blanchard said. He said, you can do a lot without faith, but you can't do anything that pleases God without faith. Nothing. You can be religious for 80 years and die. That does not please God. What pleases God is if you actually live by faith. You come to Him by faith. You worship Him by faith. You live by faith. This is Hebrews 11. I don't know if there's a more important verse than Hebrews 11.6 and I don't know if there's a more important chapter than chapter 11 of Hebrews and all of the Bible. Last week we touched on, you may remember, Hebrews 10.38. My righteous ones shall live by faith. Right? Faith is not merely something we have. Faith is something we do. Right? It's something we do. It is a lifestyle, beloved. Biblical faith is a lifestyle. It's not a set of propositional truths that we uh, affirm. Yes, we affirm the truth, but then we live the truth. This is what God is telling us in Hebrews chapter 11. It's impossible to miss the fact that God is telling us biblical faith is not academic, it is not theoretical, it is not even merely doctrinal. It is a lifestyle. Francis Chan is right. Our lives look radically different from those who are not in relationship with Jesus. It looks our lives, the born again Christian life will look radically different even from those who are merely religious in a Christian sense. Those who come to church on Sunday and tip their hat to God, but they live like the world the rest of the week. They're just tipping their hat. They're, they're rubbing God like He's a like he's a rabbit foot, you know, like, like he's a lucky charm. Well, I want to keep God working for me just in case he's there, so I'll go tip my hat to him. But I'm not going to do anything he says. I'm not going to give myself to him. I'm not going to surrender to him as Lord. Yeah, it's got to be a stench in the nostrils of God that people would call themselves Christians and live like that. But we know that the world is full of men and women like that, playing games with the living God. Again, Hebrews 11, it is the antithesis of being lukewarm. It is a radical lifestyle of knowing, trusting, loving, honoring, and obeying 
the living God, Christ Jesus. So, there are four truths I want to point out to you in our text tonight. Four truths about biblical faith from verses 7 to 12. Four truths about biblical faith. I want to give credit to John Piper here. I borrowed extensively from Piper. I changed some of his stuff. Like, you know, that's almost... Yeah, you shouldn't do that, I guess. But I I made some changes. But I want to give him credit because uh, part of the outline is his. Part of these four truths are his, and I want to give him credit. So, uh, verses 7 through 12, I won't reread the text, but you heard the text read. I hope you're looking at it. What was the starting point uh, of faith in the lives of Noah, Abraham, and Sarah? Did anyone pick up on it? What is the starting point of faith in their lives? It's the first truth about biblical faith God always initiates. God always initiates. I think I used this example uh, Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study. After Adam and Eve fell, Adam and Eve went looking for God, right? Is that how it was? What was it? How was it? (laughs) God God came to sinful man. Sinful man never has pursued God. We understand that. Romans chapter 3. But God had, God had come to His fallen creatures. Men don't seek the Lord, we understand from the Bible. But God seeks sinners. So what precipitated faith in the life of Noah, Abraham, and Sarah? It was God and God's Word. Right? Noah was warned by God. Abraham was called by God. Sarah believed the promise of God. Faith always, biblical faith always begins the same. It begins with God. And it begins with His Word. That's why at the International Church of Milan, we preach only the Bible. That's all we, that's all we preach. We don't talk about the words of men in here and the words of councils and the words of popes and the words of whoever. We don't. They may say interesting things. They may say good things. They may even say beautiful things. But their words have no power to change a life. They have no power to regenerate the soul. Only God's Word has the power to born again a soul. That's why we simply preach God's Word. We do not care too much about what men have to say. What is it that pleases God? Verse 6, Hebrews 11, faith. What does God say? How does faith come? Someone tell me. How does faith come? Romans 10, 17. How does faith come? By the Word of God. God has always worked this way. He's never not worked this way. He saves His people by His Word. Again, not through religious performance, not through ordinances, not through rites, God saves His people by His Word. It's how He's always done it. So this this church, ICM, always preaches from the Bible. We teach our children the Bible. We organize Bible studies. We give away Bibles. We do all of this because it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. We are unapologetic about that. God could not be more clear in Hebrews 11. Saving faith starts with Him. It starts with Him. It always starts 
with Him. And I know that God has made at least some overture to you through His Word. I know that is because you sit here and you hear it. God means for you to hear His Word. Or else you wouldn't be here. He would not have brought you here tonight. He means for you to hear not only His Word, but Hebrews 11 specifically. He wants you to hear what it means to be a true Christian. That's what He wants you to hear. So what will you do with that truth? That's my challenge to you tonight. What will you do with that truth? Will you be like Noah and Abraham and Sarah? Will you say yes to God? We say, yes, Lord, I give you my life. We sang it earlier. I give you my life. Will you? Will you surrender to His Lordship? Will you go with Him? Or will you choose to look like chapter 4 of Francis Chan's book? Will you be known as a Christian, but they're just lukewarm? Beloved, I want to say to you, that's not Christianity at all. That's not Christianity at all. So the challenge for you and the challenge for me as we go through Hebrews 11 is to determine are we really going to walk with God or not? Are we really going to go with God or not? The second truth about biblical faith uh, is that it begins with an inner response. Okay? It begins with an inner response. What is the inner response of Noah? It's right there in verse 7. It's beautiful. Someone tell me. What is the inner response of Noah? In reverence, he prepared an ark. In reverence, he prepared an ark. In reverence. He prepared an ark out of the inner response, which was what? Reverence. I love what John Piper says about Noah here. By faith, Noah... Pardon me. This is the inner life of faith, bowing humbly and trembling with joy before the awesome Word of God. Don't you love it? Christian, don't you love it? When you read God's Word, you study God's Word, and you're just in awe of who He is and what He calls you to do. I love it. I love it when you can feel His power coming off the page. You can feel His presence. I love that. I love it. I love it when God calls me to something new, something bigger, something deeper, something more risky than I've ever done before. I love it. I love it. But there has to be that inner response. We have much to learn from Noah. There was reverence for God. There was reverence for His Word. They weren't, Noah wasn't flippant with God's Word. He heard what God said. And in reverence, he obeyed. In reverence. I love the synonyms for reverence. It's to respect, admire, worship, have awe. Uh, to venerate, to, to be astonished, to be amazed. And if you know Christ Jesus tonight, you understand all of those terms. You can relate to all of them. That's how you feel. That's how you feel about Christ. You know about awe and worship and astonishment and amazement. Awe and worship always fuel the life of faith. We talked about it last week. The true believer doesn't obey the Lord because he ought to or he should. Why does the true believer obey the Lord? Remember what we talked about last week? Because we love Him. Because we desire to honor Him in our lives. And beloved, I want to tell you that that's constantly fueled by the awe and the wonder that is His being. 
That's why you need you and I both need to be in His Word regularly. We need to be in His Word feeling that awe and that wonder. There is no one like our God. That awe and that wonder fuels that reverence. It fuels that obedience. It fuels that love and desire. What was Abraham's inner response to the call of God? Well, it's not explicitly stated here, but it's visible, isn't it? Verse 8, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Now, if Abraham went out, if he left his home not knowing where he was going, what was the inner response? Well, there are several ways to answer that question, but the way I would say it is there's radical trust here. Radical trust. You know, not just enough trust to show up for church and throw five euros in the offering plate. I'm talking about uh, uh, enough trust to radically alter every aspect of your life. This was Abraham. Verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going. I've always tried to envision the conversation that Abraham had with Sarah. (laughs) Did you ever think about it? Did you ever think about it? Sarah, we're moving. Where are we going? Sarah says, I don't know. But we're leaving. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the conversation? Can you imagine the conversation? He says, I don't know where we're going. Hurry up and pack. We're leaving. He didn't need to know all the details. He, 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 He had what he needed. He had a word from God. Amen? He had all he needed. He had a word from God. That's all he needed. Countless unknowns, but one sure thing. I have the Word of God. Yes, everything else is a question mark. <laughs> and that's how it is sometimes when you go with Jesus. Right? Everything's a question mark except Him and His goodness and His godness and His faithfulness. He can always be trusted. Genuine biblical faith does not focus on all the unknowns. We focus on the supreme known. His name is Jesus Christ. God is real. God is almighty. God is sovereign. God is awesome. God is God and God is good. Sarah, I don't know where we're going. It doesn't matter. We're just going to go with God. Pack it up because we're out of here. So I want to ask you, what's been your inner response to the call of God in your life? What's been your inner response to God's overture? I, can, I want to just say this to you. And I think it laces almost every sermon that I preach. But if you don't go with God, you lose. You understand? Do you understand? If you don't radically go with God, you lose. You lose. Beyond quantification, beyond communication, you lose in time and in eternity. Beloved, you must say yes to God and you must go with God. You must obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. I know you hear me say that a lot, but I love that phrase. You and I both need to do that. Because when you, when you go with Him, as I said earlier, he just, he just gives you Himself. He just keeps giving you Himself. He just keeps showing up and keeping promises. And your heart just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the psalmist says. The Lord will enlarge my heart as I go with Him. 
as I stand on His Word. I love that about the Lord. He never stops filling you up with Himself as you sell out to Him. The third truth about biblical faith is that it always manifests itself. There's an inward response and then there's what? You can guess it. What? An outward response, right? There's that inward response and then there's the outward response. God is crystal clear on this point. We've talked about it many, many times. And uh, what God is saying by way of illustration in Hebrews 11 Uh, He's giving us like 16, I think I counted out, 16 or 17 named illustrations. Then He has a category for all the prophets. So there there are quite a few illustrations here. That faith without works is dead. That faith without works is useless. This is Hebrews 11. Echoing that great book of James. How How do we know that Noah had faith? How do we know? There's an ark. The thing was huge too. It was like 450. Well, I'll get to the I'll get to the numbers in a minute. It was like 450 feet. I can't remember the meters, but it was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet broad, and it was 45 feet tall. This thing was huge. How do we know Noah had faith? He worked on that ark for 120 years. The man had faith. He believed in the unseen things that God had told him about, right? The man had faith. How do we know that Abraham had faith? How do we know? How do we know? He left. (laughs) That's how we know he left. Sarah thinks he's a nut. Sarah thinks he's crazy. But he left. How do we know that Sarah ultimately had faith? How do we know? She's shopping for maternity clothes, right? (laughs) The baby... The baby. The baby's coming. She's 90 years old. She's been barren all her life. But the the Scripture says she receives the ability to conceive. She receives the ability to conceive. Beloved, that's the way the life of faith is. It it doesn't make sense without God. But with God, it is utterly reasonable. (laughs) It's not only utterly reasonable, it is exhilarating. It is exhilarating. The fourth truth about biblical faith is that it enjoys a measure of God's reward now. You know, I always tell you there's some temporal uh, reward, but we understand that the lion's share of the reward is there. It is not here. We're not prosperity preachers in this church. We're not chiefly interested in prosperity. We're chiefly interested in Jesus. We're not chiefly interested in blessing. We're chiefly interested in Jesus. Most of the reward is there. Where my dad will be in a few days. Most of it is there. It's not here. Although it is sweet to walk with Jesus here. Amen? It is sweet to walk with Jesus here. Born-again Christians are without a doubt the happiest people on the planet. We fellowship, we know, we love, we are intimate with the God of heaven and earth. It is an awesome thing. It is a blessed thing. It is a sweet thing. And on our worst day, our hardest day, our saddest day, God is going to work good in our tears. <laughs> you know, uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. But we understand 
Our temporal reward is nothing compared to our eternal reward. Our temporal reward is nothing compared to our eternal reward. Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, they all know the same thing. They all know what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we now see through a glass darkly. They understood. They had not seen anything yet. They had not seen anything yet. What I want to say to you, all of you who are Christians tonight, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet compared to what God will reveal to you. As I've said to you many times, I have to make this point again and again because I don't ever want you to forget it. After a billion eternities, there will still be an infinite amount of beauty and genius and grandeur and splendor and magnificence to discover in God. Your reward is everlasting. Your reward is God. It is everlasting. It is infinite. It is eternal. He'll always fill you with awe and wonder. On the far side of eternity, you will still be full of awe and wonder because He is who He is. God says, Noah, build me an ark. Noah says, where's my hammer? Where's my hammer? Noah believes that God is God and he believes that God is good. He spends 120 years building that ark and no one knows he hasn't seen anything yet. God tells Abraham to leave his home for parts unknown. Abraham says, where's my suitcase? I'm out of here. He says, where's my suitcase? And and Abraham traveled over 600 miles in a treacherous and dangerous part of the world with his family. Going, he didn't even know where. And you know, Abraham never, never owned any of the promised land except what? What did he own? Sarah's burial plot. That's the only thing he ever owned in the promised land. But he knew that God was God. He knew that God was good. And he knew he hadn't seen anything yet, right? So God says to a 90-year-old barren woman, in a year, you'll have a son. In a year, you'll have a son. And while her joy in that miracle child was immense, the greatest joy she had was in the God who made the miracle child possible. He is her reward. She didn't know how it was going to work, but she got the nursery ready. She got the nursery ready. That's biblical faith. It's important. I want you to understand. This fourth truth about biblical faith is an important one for us all to understand and take note of. Biblical faith does not have its gaze fixed on this life. It is fixed on the next life. And if you spend more time fixated on this life, beloved, you're either not a Christian or you need to repent. Say, Jim, you're, you're being hard. I know I'm pretty much always hard, right? I'm always hard on you, pretty much. I love you. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you fairy, fairy tales. I'm going to tell you the truth as best I can. Beloved, you should be looking at heaven. You should be pointing at the Bema seat. We talk about it all the time. If you're wholly consumed with the world, you probably still belong to the world. God expects His people to be looking at heaven. Look at, look at Abraham here in verse 10. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. He was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is what? God. He's looking for the city of God. That's what he's about. That's what he's about. Look at verse 16. 
You've got to love it. Look at verse 16. We'll talk more about it next week. But as it is, they, my people, God says, my people, the people of faith, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. We desire it. We point at it. We live for it. We are in the world, but not of it. Beloved, is that true in your life? I'm going to challenge you tonight. Is that true in your life? This is what God is saying to us tonight. You know, most, I'll just say it this way, many, many Christians that I have run into, and if I ask them, when was the last time you thought about heaven? They can't remember. When was the last time you thought about your inheritance in Christ? When was the last time you thought about the account you'll give at the Bema seat? When was the last time? And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember the last time I had a sound answer on that. And I need to repent here as well. I need to think more about heaven. I need to let that inform all that I do and all that I say. I know I'd be a lot better person if... Uh, if I thought about heaven, if I was really pointing at it. I want to share with you what C.S. Lewis says. This is beautiful. Listen, listen to him. Hope is a theological virtue. A continual looking forward to the eternal world. If you read history, you'll find that the Christian who did the most in the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Did you hear that? The Christians who did the most in the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Then he says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Beloved, Christians aren't just aiming at a big portfolio and a comfortable retirement. That's not what we aim at at all. The Lord may bless us with that, but that's not what we're aiming at. We're aiming at heaven. Francis Chan says, something's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Yes, I will embellish that statement. Not only is something wrong, everything is wrong. <laughs> if, if your life makes sense to an unbeliever, according to Hebrews 11, such a life indicates that we're merely religious. We're merely playing games with Jesus. It indicates that most likely we are a lukewarm kind of Christian. Again, which is an oxymoron. And it indicates that we probably don't know Christ at all. Our God is no lukewarm God and He's never called us to lukewarm uh, faith and lukewarm obedience, beloved. Our God is not a lukewarm God. So let me ask you, where have you been saying no to God? Where have you been compromising with God? Where have you been afraid to step out with God? Where do you need to say yes to God? Where do you need to believe Him and trust Him and obey Him? That's the challenge for you and that's the challenge for me tonight. Noah and Abraham and Sarah, they're just like you. They're real flesh. They're real blood. They had real jobs. They had real families. They had real financial problems. They had every concern that you have. They had to fight through unbelief and doubt and hesitation and fear and anxiety. They had all the same concerns that you have. But they believed God and they acted. And I'm challenging you tonight. Wherever it's hard for you right now, wherever the Lord is challenging you, I, I'm going to challenge you to obey Him. Whatever it is in your life, wherever you've compromised, wherever you shrank back from the Lord, 
I challenge you tonight to believe and obey. So I dare you. (laughs) I dare you to go with God. I dare you to go with God 100%. And here's the deal. If you do, it'll be way more fun than what you're doing now. I promise. It'll be way more fun than what you're doing now. I'm not saying you may not have hard times. I'm not saying you may not have trials. I'm not saying you may not be persecuted. All those things may happen. But ultimately, you will experience His intimacy in your life. Jesus will just, just, just keep disclosing Himself to you. He'll just keep disclosing Himself to you. So I dare you. And if you take the dare, here's the promise. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Not in time and not for a billion eternities. You'll never regret it. So if there are some of you here tonight and you've just been kind of playing religion with Jesus, or if you've got sin in your life that you've just been playing with, if there's compromise in your life that you're tolerating, I'm just going to call you to confess and repent tonight right there in your chair. Just confess your sin and and repent tonight. I'm going to challenge you to, to do some business with God tonight. Give Him your life. If you haven't given Him your life, give it to Him. If there's an area of your life that you've not given to Him, give it to Him. That's the challenge for you and me tonight. I know I was a little hard. (laughs) I love you. I'm always going to preach hard. Hey, if you you want somebody to play patty cake with you, you need to go somewhere else. I'm not going to play patty cake. I'm going to do the very best I can to, to give you the truth and challenge you. Man, I want to be challenged. I want to be challenged. I want to go deeper. I am not satisfied with my walk with the Lord. I am not satisfied. I want to go deeper. I want to get more sin out of my life. I want to get more compromise out of my life. I want to get more fear out of my life. Beloved, we need to go with Jesus. We need to say yes. We'll never be sorry. We're going to partake of the Lord's table tonight. Um... We have open communion here, so all who uh, have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior and followed Him in believers' baptism, all of you who have done that, you're welcome to partake um, of the elements tonight. What we do is Kelvin will just play a song or the yeah his guitar or something. And during that song, prepare your heart, confess your sin, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner, as Paul told the Corinthians. Prepare your heart. When you're ready, come up. Take the cup and juice, pardon me, the, the, the juice, the cup with the juice in it, and the bread. Go back to your seat. Just hold them, because after Calvin plays, I'm going to stand up and uh, read a text, and then we will partake of the elements. Okay? So prepare your heart. Come, uh, come to get the elements. Go back to your seat. I'll read a text, and then we will partake. Take a dying man, raise him up to life.